Welcome to Curva Mundial. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Curva Mundial. I am your host, Sal Bono, and today my next guest is taking us to Portugal, where we will examine one of the country's most famous teams. He's one of the co-hosts and founders of the excellent Porto Podcast. Please welcome to the show, Porto supporter and fellow AC Milan supporter, Rui Dos Santos. Hello, Rui. Ciao, Sal. Thank you, man, for having me on. I really love the whole concept and idea of your podcast and interviewing people from different backgrounds, different teams and, and cultures and whatnot. It's amazing, man. I'm really excited and, and happy to be on your show. Dude, Thank you for uh, having me on. I that, that By far and large. Okay, I think we're done. I think that's that we we end right there. It doesn't <laughs> get any better than that. And I appreciate it. So thank you very much. Well, <laughs> well on that note, for supporto. Right. So. <laughs> You know, you're coming to us from Rhode Island and you will take us on a tour of Portugal through your love of the team and your nationality. But here's the thing. Like, I know New England pretty well. I know Rhode Island pretty well. I've got a lot of friends there. I know there's a huge Greek population. I know there's a huge Italian population. But Portuguese is was kind of a shock for me when I found out where you were from. Is So is there a big Portuguese population in Rhode Island? Yeah, yeah, there is. Uh Bristol, Rhode Island has, I believe, the highest percentage of Portuguese in any city in the in the United States, I believe. Wow. But uh, it, back in the 60s and 70s and maybe the early 80s, there was a predominant presence in Providence, more on the east side, like Fox Point. Uh, then they kind of, you know, they kind of went their ways. They went to, you know, the more of the... Um, the the outskirts of Providence, but the more predominant Portuguese you're going to see in East Providence, uh, Bristol, uh, Rhode Island, Fall River and New Bedford, like Fall River is known as like the ninth island or the 10th island of the Azores. I forget how many islands there are, but it's the extra um, <laughs> island of the Azores because there's such a predominant um, Azorean culture and population there. Same with New Bedford. Um, so there's a lot of Portuguese in this area and even in the state of Rhode Island. Wow, that, that's incredible. I mean, my Portuguese friends in Newark, New Jersey will have steered me wrong and told me all fake news all these years. So it's, uh, it's good to and know. In Connecticut, that. too. There's a lot in Connecticut yeah. as well. So now I'm happy that this is all uh, cleared up at this point. You know, when what one thing I've noticed, whether it is Portuguese community in New York City or in Newark, New Jersey, as we uh, just mentioned, it's such a tight knit community it's almost as if they left the country everyone immigrated here in america and the ties that bind the, everybody that are from portuguese ne, portugal rather never never waver and it like almost like the the tightest of packs is is that something that like you experienced growing up and just seeing now that like as you said people have scattered people have gone their own separate ways but the sense of community and what it means to be Portuguese in America is still super, super tight. Yeah, it is super, super tight. And I think I've gotten more of that experience as I got older, more like after high school, because I got more involved with Portuguese people through my job. But, you know, as I said, in Providence, back then, there was more of a predominant presence. Um but now not so much. So when I went to, I always went to school in Providence, you know, preschool, elementary school, uh, middle school, high school, uh, and even college. And there wasn't a lot of Portuguese, but in the outskirts, like the other towns that I didn't really grow up in, there were a lot. So going to Fall River, which is like 20 minutes away, 
tons of Portuguese. Like, like schools are flooded with Portuguese. Same with New Bedford and whatnot. So um, with my job, I'm always in those areas because of what I do. So I'm always involved in that Portuguese culture. And if you go to some of these cities, such as Fall River and New Bedford, you hear Portuguese being spoken on the streets. So that's how much of that presence is. You kind of have that almost of a European feel because that's what you hear more than English on certain streets in uh, Fall River and New Bedford. And it's not just like little areas or anything. It's actual main streets where there's a lot of uh, Portuguese businesses, you know, shops, restaurants, cafes, et cetera, et cetera. Wow. I mean, so what you're telling me is, is that when that bullshit debate between Messi and Ronaldo was going on, all of that area was cheering for Messi, right? That's really what you're telling That's what you get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, not so much. I mean, uh, I, 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 to be honest, I, I don't like really getting into those debates because yeah, those I'm two in their you. prime, you. you know, they, they were fantastic. So if you like Messi, if you like Ronaldo, I mean, you're not really wrong. They're two great players. They're the two greatest of this generation. So if you like one, you like one and that's it. You know? I'm with you. I, I couldn't agree more. I thought it was just such like a waste of everyone's energy uh, to even even spark that up <laughs> for, for the exact same reasons that you just said. It's like, all right, you know, but, you know, you got to you got to ask when, you know, or uh, joke around about it when you can. But uh, you are a fan of Porto. So how did that love and affection come about? Is is the family from that city? Is is it just because they were uh, such a historic club? Yeah, so it's it's kind of strange because <laughs> uh, both my parents are from uh, the mainland. So I'm kind of like the oddball here because the majority of the population in this area are mostly from the Azores. So my mom is more from the north where Porto is, but my dad is from Leiria, which is about an hour north of uh, Lisbon. So that's where Sporting and, and Benfica are the other two big clubs in Portugal. But to be honest, I have no... I. When I since I was like four or five, I always liked Porto. And my first jersey was actually a Sergio Conceição jersey from 1997. He's currently our manager. He played for Lazio and won the, the Scudetto with Lazio. He played with Parma and he also played with Inter as well. So uh, a lot of the Italian followers will, will know who he is. So um, I don't really know because my whole family does, doesn't like Porto. <laughs> they only like Benfica or Sporting, but it was a time where Porto was really good. So I guess I saw them winning as a little kid and they were always on TV. They were winning trophies. And there was this one player called Mario Jardel, who was absolutely a fantastic uh, footballer. And his name was always chanted and always in the news and whatnot. So I always like kind of like jumped on his bandwagon. He won a golden boot in Europe a couple of times. So he was he was fantastic. So. Um, that's how it started. No one else in my family likes Porto. I'm the oddball. My brother likes Benfica. My dad likes Benfica. And um, well, my mom, she she liked Benfica before and then she felt bad for me and then she became a Porto fan, but she's not really big into sports. <laughs> so so that's like the whole story. I mean, with me on, I know what it's like to be the odd man out. I come from a long line. I've talked about it a million times on this podcast. Everybody in my family is a Juventus fan, and everyone that married into my family are Inter fans. And there I am, AC Milan. So it's, it's I get, I get, I get your pain. Uh, but what I will say is that whenever there is a newborn baby in your family, you have to give them the kit of the team that you love before someone else goes and hijacks. Absolutely. It. So that's the only way to do it. I mean, so now I've got like a young generation of kids that are learning to walk and uh, and speak in my family that are just like 
all wearing red and black. So uh, that that's the way I hijack it and do it. But, you know, one thing that you you just mentioned about Porto was that how you watch it on television as a kid. So I remember, and I've talked about this too here, how difficult it was to watch City A in America, even in the 90s when it was at its peak, its heyday. Premier League was still a little difficult to find. How did you watch here in the States before like the advent of streaming video? The Portuguese League, rather. So uh, the perks about having a such a big Portuguese community in this area, there was the the Portuguese international channel that was provided with your cable package. Oh, wow. So we were able to watch some of the games on there. Usually it was the bigger game. So Benfica being the most supported club uh, usually would have it, but Porto would also get some games in there as well. And whenever there was like Porto versus Benfica, Porto Sporting or Sporting versus um, Benfica, whatever it is, those matches were always on up until recently but um outside of that it was only that one channel but we would go to the the portuguese clubs and they would get the package which was pretty expensive at the time yeah. just to get these channels you know we're talking about the early 2000s as you mentioned it was not easy it's not at all like today there was no pluses packages <laughs> none of that stuff um so they would get like they would get the channel it would be pretty expensive and then they would they would charge entrance to watch the game so the club would make money so we would go and watch the games there if it was a big game and that's how that's how that's how it was everywhere you know whether you're italian or portuguese or or from spain or france or whatever that's that's how it was back in the day you know it wasn't too much different yeah you're right you're right and it's kind of crazy and it's kind of wild because now that you know, as you said, all the pluses, all these that, you know, how are you watching the Portuguese league now? Is there a provider? I don't, I, cause I can't find it. Like who is, who's broadcasting it now in the States. So right now uh, you can watch the Portuguese league on gold TV. Ah, okay. So if, if you don't have that part of your cable and you don't want to go through all these, you know, like, you know, obstacles just to get that channel, you can, go to fanatis.com and it's an app which is kind of like a paramount plus and it's really cheap especially if you do the whole yearly pan uh plan and you pay up front it's really cheap i think it was like 40 bucks for the entire year and you get all those games you get um the la liga you get league on so that's where i watch all the porto games is from there great i'm not at the portuguese clubs or whatever i mean obviously it's better in an atmosphere but i get it you know yep so Porto, obviously, historic team. You know, we're going to, you know, one of the oldest clubs in Portugal, which founded in 1893, second most decorated team in Portugal with 82 major trophies, 75 of which were achieved in domestic competitions alone. When a player comes to this club, is the expectation so high that the weight of the badge could almost hinder their performance or showcases that they're ready to rise to the occasion and win? Yeah, I mean... Porto isn't, you know, the Real Madrid's, the Bayer Munich's, you know, the the biggest, the cream of the crop. But again, I think we're the tier right below that. But the pressure is always on. And a lot of the the concept of the club, it always works in like two year cycles. They're kind of like money balls. Uh, They're like money ball clubs where they're almost like the youth academies to the bigger guys, the bigger fish. 
And but the pressure is always on when you arrive at Porto. The atmosphere is insane. The pressure is there. The culture is there. Uh, you're talking about one of the most prestigious clubs in Europe, arguably top 10, top 12 for sure. Um, so you you have that understanding. It's kind of like walking into the Sun Cito, even even during their banter era, when you had all these young players trying to understand what it's like to walk into the Sun Cito and wear that that Milan shirt. It's the same thing at Porto. And a lot of the younger Portuguese players, the younger Brazilians and, and Colombians, we get a lot of South American players, young yeah. players that come in where that is the next step for them to get recognized and go on. But a lot of one experience that they can get out of the Portuguese league is that pressure in these big games. Cause Porto is always competing to win the title and it's very competitive the league is very competitive between the top three mostly Porto and Benfica so they had that taste of pressure understanding of a culture the atmosphere and you know they get that taste to adapt to situations like this so when they do go on to the Liverpools where the pressure is immense there in England or, you know, or you go to Juventus or AC Milan or Real Madrid, you kind of get you, you're prepared in that atmosphere, not just to be developed as, as players, but you're ready to adapt to the pressure. That's why some of these players in that came from the Portuguese league that go on to the bigger clubs, they almost adapt immediately. Right. Much yeah. like Luis Diaz at Liverpool adapted to a big club. Bruno Fernandes adapted really well. Bernard Silva, a lot of players. Uh, adapted well some don't but you know they they get prepared pretty pretty well or in Rafael Leal's case it took yeah, a season Rafael. or two it took a few seasons in fact like yeah. he, his breakout year was the Scudetto year I mean prior to that I was ready to say like all right Maldini I think it's time to catch in the chips and sell him now I'm like pay him whatever he wants please yeah uh, absolutely you know, so now you seeing what these guys are made of almost as if like I equate leagues like Portuguese league or um, even to some degree like Greek league or, and uh, to some, and to some degree uh, German league as to like watching like an indie rock band before, like they can go sell out Madison square garden. Like you're seeing them in the tiny clubs. It's like, ah, this is, I knew, I know what they're about here. Yeah. When you're seeing the layouts, when you're seeing the silvers go on to bigger clubs and that's not to diminish the history of Porto, uh, Porto or Benfica mm-hmm. or Sporting. Yep. But when they're going on to bigger places like that and bigger arenas, bigger cathedrals of this game, now they may not come from Porto, or if they do, is there still a sense of Portuguese pride? Like, yo, that's still one of my people. I got to pay attention. Or is it just like, hey, that's cool, but screw him. He was at Sporting and Benfica for all those years or, you know, elsewhere. You know, I I become kind of fans of them when they leave Benfica and they <laughs> leave Swarthing, you know. Um, you know, João Felix used to be part of our youth academy at Porto and then he moved to Benfica. It was one of those slips that we made was saying, oh, we don't really want this kid. Benfica got him. He turned into a stud, scored in the derby against us to win the league, basically, and then got shipped off to uh, Atletico Madrid. After that moment, I want him to do well. Mm-hmm. I want I want all the Portuguese players to succeed because I want to see Portugal win the World Cup one of these days. Nice. I, I, I would love to see it. We've never won one. We won the Euro, right. uh, but we need to I want to see that. So I want everyone to to do well. Same thing with Ruben Dias. You know, 
Benfica, I couldn't stand the guy, but I'm I'm happy that he's doing well at Manchester City, and he's one of the best center backs in the world. So, uh, when they leave Portugal, you know, it's good. You know, then I'll I'll root for them and whatever. But aside from all that, I'm also happy too that like Sporting and Benfica and Porto collectively do well at scouting young players. And most of all, especially on Porto and Benfica's side, because historically, Sporting's had a fantastic youth academy. Figu, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, Quaresma, you know. Benfica's kind of caught up, uh, and Porto have caught up on the youth academy uh, side as well. So it's not just getting these gems from South America or Africa or whatever. Um, you know, they're, they're producing homegrown talent, which is great to see as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's I'm because I'm I'm echoing your sentiments, too. When a player leaves Italy and goes, you know, whether they're playing in Germany or whether they're going to go play in Premier League or La Liga or, you know, Ligue I'm like, yeah, this is great. You know, please, like, do well, do well. Do yeah. we can help the national team. But it is funny because the rivalries are just so deep that sometimes it's just like, Hey, play, players leaving, you know, Juventus yeah, to go you play elsewhere. Forever. Yeah, it's like, I, you, <laughs> do I really want to cheer for them? Like, ah. Eh. But, yeah. you know, it is, but I, I get exactly what you're saying. You know, Porto, as we discussed, how, how long it's been around and how historic they are. How does the mm-hmm. team affect the movements of the city? Like, we see it in places like Newcastle and Sunderland, England, and in Napoli, especially where... Yeah many places across Europe that teams live and die by the club is Porto like that. Yeah, absolutely. It's a lot like Porto reminds me a bit of Napoli. Mm-hmm. And this is not a knock on either Inter or AC Milan, because I think Inter and AC Milan arguably have the best fans in Italy, but it's something about that culture where it's the pride of the South Napoli. Mm-hmm. Where you can say that Porto is the pride of the north, and basically the the north of Portugal is similar to the culture of southern Italy. Oh, wow. um, okay. So Porto is more of like if you for those that follow Game of Thrones, it's the Winterfell of of Portugal. It is the toughest people that can endure a lot of things, um, and they're very very within their culture. I was on a podcast with, uh, with Zach Lowy and, uh, we were doing a preview, uh, before the Porto and Benfica game last weekend. And the other kid was, uh, a a Benfica fan. And he was talking about, there's one thing that he wished that Benfica had, or I'm paraphrasing him. I don't want to quote him directly. I don't want to misquote him, but he said, it's that gara, it's that grit, it's that grinta, you know, Mm -hmm. that, the Northern Portuguese, especially people from Porto have, and they're really tied to their culture more than anyone else. So the club really reflects a lot on the city. And when you see the way that Porto plays, they play like people from Porto would play. Everything is 100% physical. They are ruthless. They play with a ruthless mentality high energy, very physical. And it's kind of like a reflection of the city on how hard uh, the people work and how hard they actually are physically and mentally as people. What's funny is, is that the other places that I name checked earlier, Sunderland and Newcastle, also very, very hard working. It's it's more working class is what it sounds like when it comes to Porto than it is yep. 
you know, whether it is, you know, Lisbon or Benfica. Interesting enough is, is that you had mentioned like what you, the similarities with Napoli, you know, when a team gets so big, take for example, AC Milan or Inter or Juventus, they become a brand. They don't be, they belong to yeah. everybody. They belong to the world at that point. They be beyond, they're just based in that city. Think like the New York Knicks, yeah. Uh, yeah. terrible basketball team, but they are, you know, but they're yeah. a brand at this point. Whereas yeah. like the Indiana Pacers, if you're an NBA fan, they're living and dying by like the Pacers, like in, in Indianapolis. So with that being said, and those so, so many similarities and parallels like that, Porto though, like Napoli, is a gorgeous place. It like yeah. so how can things be difficult in such beautiful atmosphere? Take me through yeah. that. Well, what do you what do you mean by like difficult? In... So you're saying like how like hard the people are and like how like how passionate, but also like how they okay. have that, that that grit and determination to basically do whatever it takes to make it across the finish line. Yeah. That can be a symbol of like putting bread on the table or you know, making yeah. sure the bills are paid. Yeah, no, 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 I I, I got you now. Um so Back, you know, let's say around like World War II times, it was Portugal, much like Italy, was a fascist country. And typically more of the north was poorer. It was more agrarian. There wasn't as many, there wasn't, you know, an industry, a commercial industry like it was in the capital. So there was a lot of farmers. There's a lot of, uh, you know, manufacturers uh, and whatnot. And they were technically generally more poor in the North. And during World War II, during the whole Great Depression and whatnot, the our dictator at the time, Salazar, promised the Portuguese that he would keep them out of World War II, which he did. And he never sided with anyone. But he couldn't, but he said that he couldn't promise them from the famine, uh, where there was a pretty, pretty uh, detrimental uh, famine that went throughout Portugal where there was very little food. So up north, they eat the entire pig. Nothing goes yeah. away. So if you go to the north of Portugal, there's some dishes where you're like, wow, like you actually eat that. And it was, and it's what we eat. It's what we ate over there. So uh, those, those dishes um, are cultural because, and they they play a huge significance because nothing went to waste. You couldn't waste anything. So you had to make the most of it. So it's more, that's why I mean that they are yeah. like the Winterfell of Portugal. It's, <laughs> they are like the last thing standing, you know, from, you know, the White Walkers or whatever. They are the toughest people. They've endured a lot more than the people from the South. So um, that's what, that's the main reason why the port, the, the Northern Portuguese are very, you know, more tough in terms yeah. of, uh, in terms of that thank you so much for shedding light on that because what's it does parallel as you said napoli was a perfect example couldn't think of a better couldn't think of a better city to even parallel yeah. to on be i'm sicilian so being sicilian like i get all of this like this makes total sense i would have never geographically though when you look at places like you never think the north of a place is going to be poor so it's, it's almost like portugal is the reverse of what yeah. Again, I hate the term Western world, but like it's the reverse of like lack of a better term than what the Western world is normally used to because the you're yeah. saying like the North is was impoverished and it's harder to live there. It's 
it's a fascinating place. It's a fascinating league. And what fascinates me even more is that in 2016, I wrote for a now defunct soccer publication after Euros, uh, after the Euro victory that Portugal had and how they went on to win the competition. They had one of the best players in the world with Cristiano Ronaldo and one of the best managers ever with Jose Mourinho. But oddly, the league doesn't get the shine that it should. And we've discussed the fantastic players in the last few seasons that have come out of the league. But why is that? Why doesn't the league get the attention that it deserves? Well, it's kind of, it, it, it's a lot like, I don't want to say that City doesn't, it, it's more like what the Portuguese league is to, the rest of Europe is more like what Serie A is compared to La Liga and the EPL. In terms of that, um, we all know that Serie A is a great league, but does it have all of the luxuries as the other two leagues above them? You know, commercialization, broadcasting plays a huge, huge role. Champions League can only take you so far nowadays. You look at teams in the EPL that finished. 17th place they make more way more than the winner of of Serie A you know if you're you know basically if you're looking at it financially just qualifying for the Champions League is like winning the Scudetto for teams it really is if you want to look at just the finances and stuff um so for the Portuguese League the reason why it's not as well known is because for the same reason that Serie A is not in the same field financially wise with EPL and um, with La Liga, their broadcasting is really poor. Commercialization is very poor. Uh, the league is run the same way that Serie A is. A lot of Neanderthals from the past that haven't come up with the times to improve the league. So um, the potential is there. It won't ever be as big as Serie A, but it can get onto the same level as the French League. And the French League has done a remarkable job commercializing itself in the last 10 years, in the last decade. So it can get to that level, I believe. Yeah. Um, especially when you have three teams that are very historic that do a great job at what they already do, producing young players and you know homegrown or or from abroad, and they always do make these runs in the Champions League. They make their presence felt in the Champions League at least one of them every single year. So they have there's potential there, but it's much like Serie A situation is why they're not as big as England and Spain. Right. It's no, it's commercialization and, and broadcasting is is huge. It plays it's, a key uh, part. You know, Wu Tang were never wrong when they said cash rules everything around me. I mean, and exactly. That's, and that's you know that's what's hindering yep. a lot. And you're right. And the Neanderthals. That's the thing. It's the refusal to adapt. And as misery loves company, and it does warm my heart a little bit to know that in other in other national leagues or in other leagues around the world that it's run by old guys that just don't want to see change. And I say that because it is a terrible way to run a league, but it's good to know that, you know, City is not the only one there doing it. Now, my question to you here is, is that we've talked about the Holy Trinity of Portuguese clubs, Benfica, Sporting, and of course, Porto. But there are other clubs like Braga, Vitoria, Santa Clara. What's it like to be a fan of those that don't get mentioned at all? I mean, at least like Benfica could like have the worst season in history, but that was Isabio's home. Like that's his team. Like for, yeah. it's just for that alone, it's sort of, you know, <laughs> just for that alone, that'll carry them forever. Sporting, same thing with Ronaldo. But it's like, 
imagine being a fan of the 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 minnows like the underdog of underdogs here like what is that mm-hmm. so like what do those fans go through so um <laughs> um so like braga braga is definitely the fourth team they are okay they are like the tier below the big three and they're a quality side for what they do their resources and the way they fu- they've been functioning the last 15 years and really establishing themselves as the fourth biggest club and they're not a joke at all they will ruin they will ruin your party for sure they ruined ours we were on a 58 game unbeaten streak last year in the league we tied ac milan i think it was right and we lost to them we lost they ruined it we tied with i believe ac milan 58 games without losing in your domestic league it was almost two full years and that's what they're capable of it's incredible what they've been able to do but braga is also a northern team they're actually even more north than porto and they also have that same exact culture. Vitoria de Guimarães, Northern Club. Those fans are barbarians. They are as they are as ruthless as us, or even more. They love their. They die by their club. And it, it's you see it in Italy. You know, you look at the the derby de uh, de lanterna between the Genoan sides. Yeah. Sides. You've seen like it's like it's almost like a Champions League final when they play each other. It's incredible, the atmosphere there. So it's a lot like that. So you can kind of say that it's, I would say Braga is more like, you know, the Roma or the Lazios of, of the Portuguese league. They, they're there, they're competitive. They can ruin your day. Right. They won't really win the league, mm-hmm. but they will always have some quality and a competitive side. So, um, but as being a fan, those fans love their club more than anything. It's it's more of that culture. The Romans are very proud of being yeah. Roman, whether you're from the city or you're from the Lazio region. It's you're very proud of where you're from, and that's 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 one of the pluses, and and one of the beauties about football. It's you don't have to always support the club that wins all the time, but right. you support a club that you know holds your culture. And it's good to see, like, it's nice to see, like, you know, the Napoli's of the world, the Portos of the world, the Braga's of the world, you know, the the Genoa's and the and the Sampdoria. Like, that's what makes be- football, like, beautiful, you know, because you're you're embracing the culture in a sport that you love. 100%. Oh, so poetic. You nailed it. Nailed it. Oh, we've talked a lot about the parallels between the Portuguese Premier League and Serie A. As I mentioned earlier, you're an AC Milan fan. So how did that come about? Yeah, so I am 100% Portuguese. I don't have any Italian in me. Uh, and I love everything about the Italian culture, the language and everything. But um, my uncle is from Italy. He is 100% Italian. Uh, he was born outside of Napoli, but worked a lot in uh, in the Milan area, which is why he became a Milan fan. So uh, him and I were always very close we were very similar in terms of like personality and like liking sports and everything else. Um, all my other uncles and my dad weren't too much involved in sports, but he was. So uh, obviously I loved Porto. That's my team, you know, from the beginning, but it's a team that introduced me to, to football and first loved football. 
but I started watching Milan around 2004, 2005, 2006 area, um, the uh, area. Yeah. The Ancelotti area and watching them, obviously I picked them to follow in the champions league a lot because of my uncle, but they really made me appreciate football. I don't think people of this generation, the younger kids will. And I was small watching AC Milan play in their prime era and even watching Serie A in general. Man, that was amazing to watch all those players on one team and still not winning the Scudetto. That's how great this Serie A was. Um, and that's and that's how great AC Milan were in the Champions League, establishing their actual Champions League DNA, unlike the other teams in Italy. You know, so <laughs> so uh, I, I loved watching AC Milan growing up. So that's that's basically my story on why I also fell in love with them. Without really a connection to the city, I don't really even have a connection to the city. It's just a team that I love. But. I appreciate someone like you just having like that open mind and just sitting there watching like, oh man. Yeah, absolutely. There there were countless superstars. You know, you go into a Champions League final, which I really hate to talk about, but Rui Costa was coming off your bench. That's That's right. (laughs) Il Maestro is coming off your bench. That's just, that's, that was just like the quality that there was on that team. But one of the things is you see all these, like that quality on one team all the different personalities it's you know when you build dream teams basically that's what it was mm-hmm. a lot of these teams in city our dream teams you put them all together today it's sometimes they can't even mold together they can't even work together but that's what made it like milan so great to watch in the champions league everyone had their role and they knew how to adapt it even if they had to sacrifice a few goals uh for their stats in order for everything to work, because I think I think Shevchenko could have been easily 40 goals every single year on a different club. But it didn't happen because Milan was just so balanced. But that was just the beauty of it, like seeing Maldini adapt from left back to center back. Stam comes in, so he goes back to left back. You know, it's it, it's a, it was amazing to watch. It was absolutely amazing. Yeah, it's it was nothing. It... It was a time and an era, and you're right. I, I think back now, and in the in the banner years that Milan has had prior to this, you know, last Scudetto, it was sort of you'd watch those videos over and over again, and going like Wolverine, you know, that Wolverine meme where he's looking at yeah. it. It was just like, oh, I Kaka, come back, you know, and you did come back, and it sucked, but you know, it was something that like at least like yeah. we could have. You're right. It was they did what it these egos were pushed aside to do what they needed to do for the shirt. And you're right. When you said, I don't know if that happens anymore. And I think that's what also made that era so special because it might've actually been the last era we saw that even in, and I will go on and I've said this countless times that final against Liverpool, the first one where we lose the Liverpool team also doing what they needed to do for the shirt. Will that yeah. happen again? Like, can, can like that to me is the greatest final ever. Our team loses, but it's still yeah. because it's just it's it's everything that you want in the game. And you sit here and I say like now, man, like will we see that again? We'll yeah. see that in City A, and you'll see that in Premier League yeah. with Port with you know Portuguese teams because like they they believe in what the weight of the shirt is. But yeah. on a European scale, I don't know if we'll see that again. Yeah, I don't know. I I, I mean, I I think. 
probably the closest thing to it. And I guess you can say Real Madrid, uh, definitely during their, th- their three-year streak where they were able to just adapt and get the job done. Uh, Barcelona did a fantastic job too when they had all their stars, you know, Messi, uh, Iniesta, Xavi, Busquets, Puyol, Piquet, top, top class players. And they made everything work. Look at even their top three uh, uh, forwards in 2015, Neymar, uh, Suarez, and Messi. These guys could have scored more goals, even though they scored a lot of goals that year. <laughs> like it was already a lot for wingers and strikers, but they probably could have scored even more goals if they were on separate teams, but they made it work. They started off really slow, but man, they just, once it clicked, it was pff, unstoppable. So I think that was probably like the end, mm-hmm. you know, to seeing a lot of teams doing it. You know, there was like only two teams around in that era right. that were much like, you know, the Milans and the the Uniteds and the, and the Juventuses of that era in the early 2000s and so many other teams. Um, but I feel like, that same vibe was only really with Real Madrid and Barcelona and maybe even Bayern Munich. Yeah. You know, in, in the, in the 2010s. So. Yeah. I, I can't, I can't argue that. I mean, we saw that even in the, in the 2020 champions league final against Bayern and PSG, like PSG on paper should have, that game should have ended probably five, three, you know, but Lewandowski turns up, Bayern turns up, they do what they had to do put ego aside and i think that's the lesson that doesn't that gets lost in translation these days i don't know here we are as two old men just pontificating on what the game used to be (laughs) but you do a lot of pontificating because you took your fandom to a whole new level and created the porto podcast so in porto podcast in english so Mm -hmm. what is that and how did that come about yeah so uh a good friend of mine he runs a local club his name is jason rigo uh, he runs the Providence City FC, and a lot of people might hear of the, uh, might have heard of them already because they have awesome kits, and they've traveled around the world. People from NBC Sports, you know, journalists and famous football people from England and other parts of Europe, or whatever. They're buying kits from Providence City FC. People, if I'm sure, if you see some of the jerseys, you probably came across them already. Um, so they're just a local club here, and they have amazing kits. And Jason is also a, a, a Porto fan. He's 100% Portuguese. He, Unlike me, his family is 100% Porto all day. So <laughs> that's why he became a Porto fan. But, um, but yeah, we, we, we flirted with the idea a couple of years ago. And, you know, we talked about it. Yeah, yeah, we'll try it. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to it one of these days. Yeah, it sounds good. But you, it was like one of these things like, oh, are we actually going to do it like you know, but I um I got hurt last uh, December, so I was out of work for several months. I ruptured my Achilles, so Oof. I was in bed for like three months. I was like, you know what? I'm gonna start a Porto page on Twitter, try to get a following, and um I got a decent following going. And then I told Jason, I'm like, listen, I got a page here. I think we can start with this, and we can aim to start a podcast and just give it a shot. And we we kicked off in August, and it's been. You know, every week we've been pumping out episodes. It's been great. I mean, I've listened to a few. That's how I found out about you and came across you. And again, for someone like me, this episode is kind of Portuguese football for dummies and Porto for dummies. Uh, but what was great about hearing your podcast was is that I was able to pick up on things right away. Like I knew it all felt so familiar to me. 
that I'm like, oh, right. Like I, I've, it's like, I, I know way more about this team than I thought, which was great because you were also, you were humanizing the players. It was also, it wasn't just stats. It was just like some of the backstories and what's going on and like the situations leading up to the games. Mm-hmm. It's been great. And it's, it's such a great listen. And I think everybody should go and listen to it because the fact that like, even if you're not a Porto fan, you're going to pick up on something that's pretty great. And as we discussed earlier, you might find a player that then goes on, do, you know, something else. And you can say, Hey, I remember them when. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah. If uh, sometimes when I look back at like all the players that came from our ranks, um, if they were just able to stay, if we had those means and resources to keep them, We'd have a really good team, man. We had we pumped out a lot of not even just Portuguese, a lot of South American players, other European uh, countries where they made a name for themselves. And what if what if we were able to keep them, see how far we would go in the Champions League? Can that happen, though? Like, can that not just be a dream, but an eventual reality? Uh, Maybe in the future. I don't know what's going to come in terms of the football world. The market is has been insane it's i i don't think we'll be seeing another 2004 story i think we're going to continue to see teams from the top four maybe top five leagues winning the champions league for the most part we'll see some cinderella teams like the monaco's and porto and the ix's and whatnot but i i think the in order to have teams from outside of the top five to win the champions league it's a prog it's a project you know, that you have to build for years to establish, to get yourself forward. These Cinderella stories are Cinderella stories. If if it happens to win, it's because it, I don't want to say it wasn't by design, but, you know, it. there was a little bit of magic or whatever you want to call it um, that got you there. Was it an actual stable project that when you do go so far, you're aiming to go there every single year? So, I think, you know, as we touched up on it earlier, commercialization, broadcasting is the best way to grow a club and obviously uh, making appearances in the Champions League. But you need to get that extra uh, cash from somewhere else, not just the Champions League, unfortunately. Now time for a coffee break. Curva Mundial is sponsored by Mod Cup Coffee in Jersey City. But you can get it anywhere in the world from ModCup.com. Mod Cup. Drink modern coffee. Use code MUNDIAL for 10% off your first order. Rui, we're in the home stretch now. This is my favorite part of the podcast. I'm going to ask you three questions uh, about your team, the rapid fire questions. You can answer these now for either Porto or AC Milan. (laughs) Take your pick. Just let me know. If you could bring back one retired player to your club, alive or dead, a former player, who would it be and why? Man. Oh, for Porto, geez. Ah, I think I would go. What do we need most? Uh, I, I, you know what? I'm gonna go with. I'm gonna go with Deco. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, finished second behind Shevchenko in 2004. Uh, for Belanda or. Uh, one UEFA's midfield best midfield twice with Barcelona and one with Porto. So definitely him. I think a player like that is almost irreplaceable. Uh, so definitely him. And then for AC Milan right now, 
Um, I think for oh, I think we definitely need a number nine. So I'll go with uh, Marco van Boston. Nice, love it, love it. Money is not an option. Infinite supply of cash, more money than PSG. If your club could sign one player today, who would it be and why? Uh, Erling Haaland right now. Yeah. I think so. Um, yeah. There's just one player that we can sign. You know what? Maybe um, actually, no, I'll go back because I think I'll go with uh, Mbappe. Because I think he's a little bit more versatile. He can play the number nine, and he also can play on the wing. So given that Milan is not really going to hang on to all these players for the long term, it's good to have a world-class player that can play right wing, left wing striker. So I think it's good to have a player like that. So I'll go with Mbappe for sure. And he's a Milanista, so he's a diehard Milanista. I'm going to just dream about it. I'm going to just put it out in the ether. Maybe he comes one day. We'll see. I don't know. But, uh, but yeah, I love that. Uh, anybody uh, from Porto? Or is it, do you want to go with Holland for Porto? Yeah, for Porto, yeah. Let's say um, I'll go with Holland for Porto because Porto always does a great job at bringing wingers and a lot of creative players, even midfielders as well. And they've done well developing strikers. But I think right now I'd definitely go with Holland. I think he would easily put away – 30 or 40 goals in the league. So you might put 30 or 40 goals away a game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Over there. Yeah, definitely. So um, yeah. Holland for Porto for sure. Cool. And what has been your favorite moment as a fan? Yeah. So for, for Porto, it has to be the champions league. And in that champions league run, the most, one of the most majestic things I've ever seen in football was Garstinha's 88 minute goal to tie at Old Trafford to tie against Manchester United and send us through that away goal was crucial because it was even on aggregate and uh, uh, Manchester United had the away goal and we needed a goal from somewhere and it was pure magic seeing that I will never forget that moment that last minute goal and you see Mourinho everyone's celebrating on the corner kick flag and Mourinho's running down. He gets off his chair and he runs down the sideline and he looks at the Portuguese crowd and some of the Portuguese crowd had Benfica jerseys, Spartan jerseys. They were cheering for Porto because they were from Portugal. And he was looking at all of them and he was pumping the crowd up. And when the final whistle was blown, I was like, we just eliminated the favorite to win the Champions League. So anything can happen. And it was amazing. It was a dream come true. It was absolutely amazing. And then... For AC Milan, it's got to be uh, 2007 for me. The the redemption. Redemption, right? You know, for every Istanbul, there's always an Athens. So Athens was amazing. Ah, oh, I can't think of a better way to end it. Ruri, thank yeah. you so much. Where can people find out uh, about you and the podcast? Yeah, so uh, on Twitter, you can uh, find me on my personal page. It's Ruizinho92. And then uh, our Porto podcast is at FCP. No, I'm sorry, at FC Porto Pod ENG. So that's where you'll find us on Twitter. Cool. And I just want to say thank you, uh, Sal, for, for having me on, man. It was great just having a discussion, not worrying about analyzing games or predictions or anything. It was just awesome to talk about football and why we love it. Oh, so thank you so much, man. Oh, I appreciate that. Thank you very much.
as I said earlier, the thing could have ended a minute into this with all the nice words you said. So we carried <laughs> on about an hour. Uh, I appreciate it, dude. Thank you so much, man. From one Milanista to another, Forza Milan. And uh, how, how would I say this now for, for Porto? For, Forza Porto? Yeah, uh, Forza Porto. Forza so Porto. it's not so hard on the Z. Right. So Forza Porto. Forza Porto. Follow us on Twitter at Curva Mundial Pod and subscribe to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening.